How many of you have seen the movie Frozen? Raise your hand high. How many have seen it twice? Three times? Four times? <laughs> oh, yeah. It is an unbelievable hit. Came out of Thanksgiving. Went strong. Came out on DVD recently. One billion dollars in gross sales uh, for this movie so far. I was talking with my wife. She had a want a talent show and all the girls wanted to sing, let it go. So finally they just all got up together and sang, let it go. How many of you wish that your child or children would let go of that song? Anybody out there? <laughs> Jason, yeah. Uh, some guys have said, yeah, it's a great song, but uh, I think I've heard enough of it. The reason I mention this is because this past week, my wife and uh, our three boys did a spring break trip down to the Museum of Science and Industry, and we saw the Disney Treasure exhibit. And it was a really interesting story of Walt Disney's life. And the thing that kept coming through to me is how many times he bet the whole company on a particular project, how he risked everything because he believed in his vision. One illustration of that is Snow White, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Again, back in that day, the animated features were very, <laughs> very simple, very crude in their development. And Walt Disney wanted to change all that. So he decided to put Snow White uh, together, based on a book, of course. And it took five years, five years of drawings to put it on screen. 570 artists working, drawing up 2 million watercolors, 2 million sketches of watercolors for the movie. And in the end, only 166,000 were actually used. The budget was somewhere from 150 to 250, but it ballooned up to 1.5 million dollars, which was a lot of money back in 1937. In fact, Disney's critics said that this was Disney's folly. They thought this was going to take Disney down, and it would have taken Disney down if it had not succeeded. But he believed, and he said, "This is going to work," and it did, of course. Snow White is the top ten, the top tenth grossing film in all of history when you consider inflation, and it's time tested throughout the years because Disney believed. In fact, Disney says in this quote, "All our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them." Now, not all our dreams do come true. Of course, we know that, but I think the principle here is if we have the courage to pursue them. And, of course, when we talk about our spiritual lives and pursuing spiritual goals, uh, that Holy Spirit's power is what makes us bold enough uh, to pursue big visions for God that He gives us. And, of course, that's what we've been talking about through our Disciple Driven Initiative series here, this vision that God has given us and how if it's going to happen, we're going to have to ask for spiritual boldness 
to be fully engaged in what God desires for our families. That's what we want to explore today as we look at being fully engaged. We want to look at the different initiatives here. Of course, first of all, it's a prayer initiative in your program. If you'll pull it out, there is an insert that I gave you last week. Disciple-driven prayer requests. As I've said, it's all about prayer. It always will be about prayer. And we need to start praying. We need to put this in our prayer list, our Bible, wherever you keep your prayer requests, and take a different request every day, however you might pray. But let's lift this up uh, before uh, the Lord. The second part of the initiative is the generosity initiative. And that's going to take full engagement. That's going to take prayer. That's going to take, okay, Lord, what do you want us to give above and beyond our regular giving sacrificially in order to fund the vision that our family has uh, together? And I encourage you to think and pray about that. And we've got so many wonderful projects we're going to be talking uh, more about, uh, but all of it's going to happen because of our generous hearts. And finally... It's a full engagement initiative. A full engagement initiative. As I've observed and studied our ministry, uh, we always encourage people to, to step into ministry, first of all. Uh, that's a spiritual growth step. To get involved in ministry, because that's disciple-making. Whenever you're involved in some type of ministry, you're helping build our disciple-making community. So we encourage people to step in, and maybe they'll step into a one-time-a-month type position where they just serve one service per month. Now, that's a great thing. That's a great start. But what I've seen is a lot of people get stuck there. Uh, they say, okay, well, I'm serving once a month, and, and that's good enough. Well, it's not really good enough in terms of your spiritual development. You need to become more involved in ministry. You need to become more engaged in ministry over time. So over the next two years, we're going to be exploring that. We're going to be looking at how we can help people find a more significant ministry to be involved in, to be more engaged in as the Lord leads them. So we want people to be fully engaged, to step in, but then to step up, to step up to more involvement, to step up to different ministries, to step up to a higher level of commitment to the ministry that really brings you joy, a ministry where you're gifted, a ministry that God has designed just uh, for you or to step up into leadership. You need more leaders to step up and take responsibility. The most important thing that you need to understand is that this is our church. Okay? It's not Dan Harrison's church, not the elders' church, the leaders' church. It is our church together. And the strength of this church, the vitality of this church is dependent upon you. If you're a regular tender here at Springbrook, if Jesus Christ has transformed you, you have as much responsibility to further this ministry as I do. We're all playing different roles, but that's what I'm talking about, full engagement. As I've observed and looked at our ministry, I think that's a key area uh, that we need to continue uh, to grow in. That's why we're talking about today. Now, before I get into that, I want to talk about some disciple-driven dates because I want you to be fully engaged in this initiative so you fully understand it, you get your questions answered, and so you can be led by God 
to be fully engaged in these different areas. So you'll receive a disciple-driven brochure uh, this week, and hopefully that will give you an overview of the different things we've been talking about and kind of paint the whole picture. Then we're going to have informational gatherings April 7th through the 11th. That's Monday through Friday. They're identical meetings, and it is so critical that we have everyone at one of these meetings. I'll be sharing a little bit. Uh, we'll have a lot of other people uh, sharing their insights and uh, what God is doing uh, in their lives. It's just going to be a fun time. Uh, so we're asking small groups, if you're part of a small group, that your small group come the night that your small group meets and be a part of that event together. If you're not part of a small group, uh, you'll receive a letter and and uh, we'll suggest a particular day for you, but whatever day it will work uh, for you. Uh, we have child care provided. You know, I'll do whatever I can to encourage you to come out uh, to this meeting. If you want me to go to Starbucks and buy a particular type of coffee, I'll do that for you. Uh, <laughs> I tell you what, I, I just am asking you as your pastor uh, to come and be a part of this event. Now, we have a whole group of people that are going to be calling you this week, they're going to be calling you and asking you what day you can come. And I would encourage you to pick up the phone, to pick up the phone. We all deal with phones and texts in different types of ways. But this particular week, I'm asking you to pick up that phone. If somebody calls and leaves a message, make that the priority message. Have the whole family just waiting for that call. <laughs> the call is coming. Is it going to come today or tomorrow? We don't know, but we're waiting. And when that call comes, boom, we call back and say, yes, I'll be there on this day because I am excited about the future of Disciple Driven and our ministry uh, together. So the next thing on our calendar is that next Sunday uh, we're going to have a Lawndale focus. We're developing this partnership with Lawndale Community Church, this inner city ministry that really specializes in holistic disciple-making. And one of the things we're going to do to begin that relationship is we're going to be working with the Hope House. This is a house for guys who've been struggling with addictions or just out of prison or other issues, kind of like a recovery program. And we're going to be going down there in groups, and we'll attend the service, and then we'll provide a meal for several of the guys and their families in a beautiful way. Uh, to disciple them. But Pastor Joe, who's the pastor at Hope House, will be here uh, to share a little bit during the service. And then afterwards, in the youth room, uh, you can go and hang out there with Pastor Joe and ask more questions about Lawndale's ministry. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that. And the next Sunday after that, we're going to have a representative from the Timothy Initiative. Remember, part of our disciple-driven initiative is uh, funding... 300 church planners being trained over a two-year period. 100 guys that we're training to reach their area. Most of them are farmers, but they have a heart to reach uh, the lost people in their area. And there are so many lost people in those areas. Uh, so Phil Sura, who actually was in our launch team for Springbrook back in the 90s, he's coming down from Minnesota because he's on their board and he's been all over the world. Uh, seeing how these people are trained, seeing these churches, and he's going to be able to give us a first-hand account of what happens uh, in that uh, church planning effort. 
And then again, after the service, you can go and talk with him so you can really learn about these ministries uh, that we're becoming engaged in. Then we have Easter Sunday coming up. And we'll be shifting gears there uh, into a new series. Uh, so uh, encourage your friends to come out. We'll talk about that in a little bit here. And we have Commitment Sunday. That's when you're going to bring your commitment cards, uh, a product of your prayer, of your processing about Again, what God would have you to give. And that will just be a small small portion of the service. Uh, we'll again be having a normal service and a normal type message, but we will have a commitment Sunday uh, that Sunday. All right. So I encourage you to be fully engaged as we walk together into God's will for us in the future. Now, let's uh, transition here. and Let's talk about why should we be fully engaged? Why should our lives be focused around the mission that God has given us? Well, we see in 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, Peter writes, As you come to him a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, as you come to him a living stone, the living stone, of course, is Jesus Christ. Rejected by men, he was rejected by the Israelites. But in the sight of God, of course, he was chosen and precious. And we ourselves are to become like living stones. We're to become like Jesus Christ. We're the only religion, I guess you could say, if you want to put it that way, major religion, that we're taught to become like our founder. You don't find that in any other world religion because we want to become like Jesus Christ because He is God and uh, He is the one who empowers us to actually make that happen. So, we are to be living stones. And that's the whole idea. When we talk about full engagement and service uh, in terms of making disciples, uh, there's a formal type of making disciples when you're involved in some type of ministry here. Uh, in our body, then there's informal discipleship that takes place just naturally through friendships and through you know, spiritual friends, conversations that you have. When we talk about the formal part of it, uh, we want to be fully engaged. And, and God has made this spiritual house called Springbrook. And it's made of living stones. Now, we're so thankful for the beautiful facility that we have uh, to meet in and to make disciples in. But this is not the church, uh, these walls. We are the church. We are the living stone. So if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you have committed yourself to this church, you are a stone that the Holy Spirit is designing. Back in that day, I mean, they were just unbelievable craftsmen in making these stones with buildings that would last for centuries. Now, how could that be? Well, because they spent so much time designing these stones, hammering, chiseling, forming these stones, that they would be so perfect that they would fit so nicely together, so snug, and, and you would make an impenetrable wall because these stones were so close together. So when we talk about our disciple-making community here, we're all a bunch of living stones. And you see, the thing is, is that uh, we're all at different levels of development. So the point is, when you become a stronger disciple, when you grow as a living stone of God's ministry here, 
you make this church stronger. So every time you grow spiritually, every time you become more like Jesus, every time you submit to His Spirit, you're making our ministry stronger. You're making our family stronger because you're becoming a more well-designed stone. Now, it's a long process. (laughs) It's a long process, but it does happen as you continue to submit yourself to what God wants to do uh, in your life. So, friends, we want to continue to disciple one another, encourage one another, in order that we might be more effective stones, living stones, just like Jesus, in getting the work that He wants us to get done. That also goes on to say, not only are we living stones making up a spiritual house, but we're a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, being a priest back in that day was a big deal. Now, there were 12 tribes of Israel, and one of the tribes was the tribe of Levi. And you had to be from the tribe of Levi if you wanted to be a priest. Now, you could be a Levite and not be a priest, but in order to be a priest, you had to be a Levite. And there were 48 different places in Israel where these priests lived. And most of their life was like everybody else's life. They, they ministered in the community. But two weeks during the year, they would go into Jerusalem uh, to the temple. And that's when they would officially act, one might say, as priests in terms of helping with the sacrificial process. Uh, they had the unbelievable privilege of being able to go into the temple of God. And for the Israelite, what a privilege that was. That's like the best thing you could ever do, was actually walk in God's temple. Only priests could do it. So it was a very, very special position. So we need to understand how important and special and the unbelievable privileges that priests have for helping us to understand what it means for us to be priests. Because when Jesus Christ died, the curtain in the temple was torn. And the Holy Spirit comes into us when we become a Christ follower. And we become the temple. We become priests of God. We are His representatives. We are offering not blood sacrifices or grain sacrifices. We're offering sacrifices of love and encouragement. Sacrifices of helping people come to Jesus. Discipling people in Jesus. There's all kinds of wonderful fruit that comes out of our lives as we're ministering as priests. And when you think about today, and and people uh, look up to particular and respect uh, certain positions, uh, a doctor is somebody who is respected in our society. Now, doctors do get a lot of flack. Uh, Sometimes people think doctors are just in it for the money, that doctors uh, are arrogant. And sometimes, yes, they do come across as arrogant, but I'd rather have an arrogant doctor who knows what he's doing than a nice doctor who doesn't. (laughs) So sometimes I just put up with their arrogance. I said, okay, that's what makes you good. That's fine. (laughs) I'm not going to look for hugs from you. Uh, So the point being is that uh, we need to be thankful for our doctors. And and as you know, I recently went through rotator cuff surgery, and I'm so thankful. David Anderson, Lake Cook Orthopedics. Boy, I tell you, there is a guy who knows his stuff and has a great bedside manner as well. And I'm so thankful for him. I mean, I was having pain in my shoulder, and 
I just passed my three months, and now we're doing strengthening exercises, and I'm feeling it more. Uh, but I know eventually this thing is going to get back in order. Uh, but the point being is, is that uh, he was the one who God used to fix my body. And then I have a uh, physical therapist at Atletico, and uh, she's a doctor as well in physical therapy, and she has just done a wonderful job of uh, helping me uh, again recover. I tend to overdo things, and she said I shouldn't do that. <laughs> well, I'm so thankful for doctors, aren't you? I mean, why? Our bodies start to break down, and it's amazing what they can do these days. Well, here's the point. They're physical doctors, right? And eventually, you die. I don't care what you do <laughs> in terms of health or whatever. We're all going to die unless Jesus comes back. But God has called you and I to be spiritual doctors. And that's much more important than being a physical doctor. God has called us to help people spiritually, to help them to find Jesus, to instruct, to guide, to disciple them in their relationship with Jesus. Uh, that is very, very important work. In fact, we actually facilitate part of the process of raising people from the dead. Now, has anybody found a doctor out there that actually raises people from the dead? Bring your dead person in, and I will bring them back to life. Wow! That would be something else, wouldn't it? If you had a doctor out there who could do that. Uh, of course, they can't do that. But God resurrects spiritually dead people. People who have no spiritual interest. Uh, he works within them and makes them alive spiritually. And we're part of the process. Now that, that is just unbelievable. That we can be used in that way by sharing the gospel and seeing a dead person come alive. Now once that dead person you know, comes alive, you've got to clean them up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> dead people, you know, they're kind of messy. <laughs> right? You've got to clean them up. And the Holy Spirit supersedes that process and sanctifying that person day by day. And it's a beautiful thing to see their lives change. I mean, really. Really, when you think about it, when you think about your job, when you think about other endeavors in your life, what could be more important? What could be more significant? What could be more worthy of your time than being a spiritual doctor, being a priest that God has called you to be, to enter into people's lives, to share God's love with them, to see the Holy Spirit transform this dead person into a a live person that's going to spend eternity with God and then to disciple them along the way. Now, that is something to live for. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Yeah, bring it on. Come on. You got, you got it going there. Got it going. Oh, yeah. All right. It's great. All right. Now, 
When we talk about our disciple-driven initiative, really what we're doing is we're renewing our commitment to God's mission to make disciples. And what an unbelievable privilege it is. We read on here in 1 Peter, and uh, we look in uh, 1 Peter 2.9. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a kingly priesthood, a holy nation, Christ's righteousness makes us holy, a people for his own possession. We belong to him, we're children of his. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, don't say, okay, I've made you a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, so that all your dreams can come true here on earth. Now, so you can be perfectly healthy for the rest of your life until you, you, you die in your sleep? No. So that uh, your children do exactly what you want them to do, and uh, they follow your commands, and they turn out just like you want them to do? Want them? Desire to? No. There, there's no promises there. The only thing that God asks us to do with this unbelievable gift of salvation is to tell other people. To proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Goes on in First Peter two ten. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I'd say it all. My beautiful. So what are we to do? We're to shine our light. Matthew five fourteen. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under my basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and uh, give glory to your Father. Who is in heaven. Friends, we live in a very dark world. This past week I learned about the fact that Verizon Wireless has added to their library of media a video of an ancestral nature and child related pornography. Now that is evil, that's darkness. That's wickedness coming from Satan. Now, we could spend all afternoon giving illustrations of that, right? And there's a tendency for us as Christ followers just to continue to talk about how wicked this world is. So we kind of cloister ourselves, we isolate ourselves, and, oh, this world is just so terrible, and there's nothing I can do about it. And what's going to happen to my kids and grandkids? And we moan and we whine. And, and certainly there's room for concern. But friends, <laughs> okay, you are in a room that's dark. And there are other people in the room. The lights have gone out. What are you going to do? You've got a flashlight in your hand. And you say, wow, it is really dark in here. This is so frustrating. I cannot see a thing. Will you people shut up? I can't. 
What are you going to do? You're going to turn on the flashlight, right? Of course. So, friends, the darker it gets in this world, the stronger the motivation should be for us not to whine and moan. I mean, I tell you what, you look at the New Testament churches, it was a lot worse than what we're experiencing here in the U.S. in terms of the way they lived. Oh, mercy. Hey, stop moaning about the darkness and do something about it. Shine the light. Get your light out and let it shine. Let people know what the truth is about Jesus Christ. Tell people, encourage people, pray for people. Every time you see a bad uh, report on the news about new types of wickedness, you've got to say, oh, Lord, help me to shine the light. Show me how to shine the light. Empower me to shine the light because it's getting darker and darker and people need Jesus more. One of the benefits of it getting darker is that people are more aware of their need because their lives continue to get more and more and more and more messed up. And there are people, there are people who are going to respond to the light. They're going to respond to the gospel. And we need to be there. Of course, Easter is coming up. And Easter is the Super Bowl Sunday of, of ministry. It's the big one, all right? And so we need to get prayed up instead of going out and buying chips and upgrading your TV and all that kind of stuff. You need to start to be thinking about, okay, I'm going to be prayed up over the next three weeks of Easter here. I'm gonna, this is the Super Bowl, man. This is, we're we're going to have a celebration. And I'm not coming alone. There's no reason for me to come alone. I've heard the gospel over and over and over again. I've got to bring somebody with me. That's the idea. You have a Super Bowl party alone? If you do, well, I don't know what to say about that. Right? You bring people with you to enjoy the Super Bowl. Well, in the same way, we want to encourage you to bring people with you. To enjoy the Super Bowl Sunday of resurrection. The Super Bowl Sunday of hope. The Super Bowl Sunday of new life. And so several things that you can do instead of worrying about the wickedness, saying, I'm going to do something about the wickedness, I'm going to shine my light. So we got yard signs. Have we got yard signs in their garage from last year? Okay, we'll take that puppy out and put it in your front yard. Don't let it hide anymore. Today you get that thing out there and let people know we got something going down on Super Bowl Sunday. Then we're going to get some cards for you to hand out to people. Maybe get an email out that you can send out to people. We're just going to let the, let the area know that if they want to know what's so cool about Easter, they can come our way. We've got some new signs going up. We're not doing a mailing uh, this uh, spring. So we're just asking you to get the word out. And, hey, we got Master Ron coming, I'll tell you. Master Ron. Where is that? Uh, I can't find it, but. He doesn't look like much uh, in terms of size, <laughs> Master Ron. But I tell you, he's really good. My wife can contest to it, and others who've seen uh, his illusions uh, and his uh, just sharing of the gospel. So this is a great thing, you know. Use that. Go to the website. Go to Master Ron's website. Get the information. Print out a picture. Say, hey, your kids come, want to come and see Master Ron on Easter? You know, we'd love to have you. <laughs> All right, invite him out. Uh, for those people in your life who are church-ready. And again, Easter is an easy invite because, oh, I'm, I'm not going to be there. But you can you just invite them. Hey, you got any place to go for Easter? 
I'll invite you out if you don't have a place to go. And again, it's not—it's one of those things that's not offensive per se, uh, depending upon the person. But again, there's easier days to invite out than others. And again, I'm going to kick right into another series. Uh, we'll be done with Disciple Driven at that point. And uh, let's use this opportunity uh, to shine the light of God's uh, Word. Now let's look at uh, fully engaged. We want to be fully engaged in prayer. Fully engaged in prayer. Uh, we had a, uh, a prayer time uh, yesterday, or morning of prayer. Remember we talked about that last week and talked about uh, Luke 11, 9 through 10, the idea that we need to ask and seek and knock. And It was a great prayer time, but there were only like 25 people there. And I said, hmm, that's, that's kind of odd. Uh, you know, a lot of people that come to Springbrook, and I put a, I thought a pretty good challenge out there. So I was thinking about it. I know it's spring break, and there's all kinds of activities going on. And I said, you know, Dan, uh, I really felt an impression from God. You've got to do this again. It's never happened before. You've got to do it again. Because, friends, if we're going to send a message to God that we're serious about being disciple-driven, if we're going to send a message to God that we are totally dependent upon Him, we need more than 25 people to do it. Amen? Amen. That's right. That's why April 26th, we're going to have another morning. A prayer. And my goal, my vision is to see 100 people show up. I want you to bring your teenagers. What a beautiful way to disciple your kids. Bring them out to a time of corporate prayer. Again, this is an area we want to grow in, right? So we've got to work at it. Bring your kids that are old enough to be able to process through that. We're going to have child care for this one. All right? So there's no excuse. Uh, and if you say, I can only come at 6, we'll start it at 6. All right? Again. Are we going to be serious about prayer or not? Are we going to make it a priority about prayer or not? Now, I can, I can get up here and I can speak and I can pray. But again, it's each of your individual decisions about how fully engaged you're going to be in prayer, in service, in generosity. And all I can do is teach God's Word and I can pray, but that's about it. You've got to make the decision about your level of engagement. I'm looking forward to that day. In fact, you have an insert there. You probably thought you were seeing double. They left this one in from last week. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I want you to fill it out today. All right, what do we got today? March 30th. Uh, you got 26 days to get ready. All right, to clear your schedule. Tell the family. We're all going. We're going to blow this place away with prayer. All right? And so uh, check whatever hour or add some hours there if you need to. We'll work it out. And... Uh, we're going to lift our needs before uh, the Lord. The next area I just want to talk about briefly about is the area of service. First Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God, good stewards of God's very grace. So I'm going to be using our gifts in service. I want Michelle Howe to come out at this time. As part of our disciple-driven initiative, we're making a major change in our children's uh, ministry. Uh, we're doing it differently. A lot of churches do it in this way, and we studied it and thought this would be a good thing for our ministry. Uh, what we're going to be doing, uh, experimenting in the summer and moving in the fall, going uh, uh, full uh, program, uh, is we're going to ask every uh, child uh, through the fifth grade to go directly to uh, their Sunday school experience or Kids City. And we're going to have a large group time uh, where we have uh, kids uh, who will be uh, led by songs and, and uh, story time, and then we're going to break up into small group times. 
for discipleship groups. So, Michelle, fill us in more about why we're doing this. Sure. Well, first of all, I'm very excited about this initiative and bringing our kids into a deeper relationship with the Lord. And in doing so, by bringing them back to Kids City for a full teaching and worship and small group time, we will be able to get personal with them and really develop relationships with them. Now, we we just want to make our Sunday morning time more engaging, uh, more fun, uh, more uh, just uh, appealing to kids because we're teaching the most important information they can get. And that's, of course, uh, the Word of God. How will this help uh, kids, for example, in worship? Well, the worship will be designed to be on their level. Kids like to move around and jump around and worship their worship the Lord in their own way, and we will be providing a worship set for them that will enable them to worship the Lord that way. Yeah. As you, you and I have talked, uh, one of the great things about this is you can use people in the area of giftedness. Now, there are just a few people who are willing to get up and sing with the kids and there's just a few people that are willing to tell the story in front of a large group of children. We'll have several different large groups. But there's a lot of people that would love just to sit down with you know, five, eight groups of kids, whatever, and, and just n- disciple them, encourage them, talk about their lives. And right now we just have too many people, uh, you know, especially at the 11 o'clock service. In fact, that's another challenge I want to give you for Easter. I want you all to come to the 9 o'clock service. Okay. I want all you 11 o'clockers to come to the 9 o'clock. Because any guests, now if you're bringing a guest, you can get in. All right? We're going to check you at the door. Do you have a guest? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding you. But really, I ask you to think about coming to the 9 o'clock service. Uh, because, uh, again, we kind of like this with the 11 o'clock. And mostly it's because of kids, and I totally understand that. Uh, but for Easter, uh, if you could do us a favor and come to that 9 o'clock. Uh, but if you're bringing a friend, you can come anytime you want. Uh, so we wanted to encourage you to do that. Uh, so, uh, again, tell us more about these discipleship groups, how it will enhance uh, the children's learning. Sure. Depending on which age, the kids will have a discipleship group. And on the younger side, they will be meeting with their teacher for activities and prayer, all based on the lesson. And afterwards, uh, for the larger, the older children, they will meet after the story. And in these discipleship groups, they will have activities that reinforce the lesson, and they can talk to their teachers about what Bible and life, what they can be doing every day. Now, we've been working with a coach on this, uh, and he's been great in training us and helping us understand that, uh, how this will all work together. But the critical difference here is that we want to create a consistency with our kids, not have a different leader every week. But our desire is to have uh, people serve twice a month, okay, uh, for one service, or both services if they like, but uh, twice a month uh, for one service. And therefore, ideally, a child would be coming every week, would just have two different leaders, two discipleship uh, leaders uh, that come. But also, another thing that we want to encourage people, and we've kind of drifted in this way, but if you serve at a particular service in any capacity that takes you out of this worship experience, we want you to come to the next worship experience, right? So that's a lot of time. Well, yeah, you're right. That's the nature of ministry, right? Full engagement, time investment. You say, hey, this Sunday morning is going to be God's Sunday morning. And I'm going to, I'm going to serve first, 
and worship second or vice versa. I mean, it's all worship, obviously, but the point being is that that's what we're praying for. So again, when I talk about stepping and stepping up, a lot of you who are already serving in children's ministry, we're going to be asking you to step up to two services uh, a month as well as a commitment to worshiping at another one of the services. So I want you to think and pray about that. But I, I'm so thrilled at uh, the difference it's going to make in our children's lives as we restructure this. And there's a great need for prayer as we make all these moves, but it's all for uh, discipling our kids. Let's thank Michelle for all of her uh, energies. Thanks, Michelle. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much uh, for Michelle and for her ministry and all the people. We've got like 150 people in our children's ministry, and we praise you for that. Thank you for the work that they're doing. And I pray you be with us as we make this transition. Yeah, there's going to be a lot to work through and just experimenting, and, uh, but we really believe that it's going to be the best uh, for our children. And Lord, I ask that uh, you would help us just to be so committed to our children and helping to form their young minds uh, in order that they might realize that Jesus is a Savior and He is the only way. In Christ's name, Amen.